Welcome to the Visions and Tones podcast. This particular entry might not be fashionable for many people who are not into interlocutors, who are not into critical engagements. Um, and I know that I've got a number of listeners who rather prefer um, interviews as opposed to monologues. Um, but I think this particular entry adds to the many other episodes, monologues in particular, that I've done about arguing and arguing well. Um, for those who would recall, I've just done part one of arguing well um, in the second season. But I wanna, what I want to address in this short entry is... A response sort of to a friend of mine who is in South Africa. His name will remain uncalled because he did not sort of concerned uh, to be called out in this particular entry. But he's a great uh, human being. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a great thinker. Uh, he holds a master's in uh, industrial sociology. Yes, <laughs> I don't know why I'm sort of tripping on that. But he holds a master's in industrial sociology. He's done work on um, looking at the re-entry of ex-offenders into the community. Um, and also looking at uh, issues on domestic violence, police brutality, and I think recently he does work on helping the boy child uh, find safety uh, and grow health healthily in the society. And he's got like many other things that he's doing. But he raised a statement to me in the couple of weeks uh, now. And he said, what would your response be to a statement such as this? Because Dr. Nyundu is African... He is podcasting from the outside, which is a place of the marginalized and uncivilized. He doesn't really feel at all the stuff that he's podcasting about. He's very quaint and curious. Uh, all is quaint and curious to him. So he can podcast or write articles and get all those accolades and get invited to give talks and seminars. But if he was genuinely an Australian, he would actually be labeled... Um, as an angry person and shunned, probably angry because some of the work in which I write about tends to sort of speak um, more about blackness and, you know, speak against racism and so on and so forth. But a couple of things really come to mind when I see this kind of a statement. First thing first is to sort of uh, pose this kind of questions to myself. If I hear this kind of statement, um, whether, whether I'm in a seminar or whether it, this is just a text that's just dropping on my mails or dropping on my phone. I just tend to sort of ask myself these kind of questions. Who is posing this critique? And this is what I would sort of ask um, to any person as a response to now my friend in South Africa. Who is posing this critique? Is it, is it an Australian who is alluding to the fact that Dr. T uh, has less knowledge or possesses less knowledge about the contemporary Australian culture? 
or is it an Aboriginal person, basically alluding to the fact that Dr. T lacks the ancestral and historical experience of the Aboriginal people during the colonial times, or even in the neo-colonial times? Or is this a question that's, uh, or a statement that basically is posed by an African who's in the diaspora, or it's posed by an African who's in the motherland, but basically trying to point out the fact that Dr. T, who now lives in the diaspora, lacks the so-called um, current realities of what is happening in Africa, despite him having you know, the ancestral, the experiential, and the historical knowledge of what it is to be an African, um, either in Africa or outside of Africa, whichever the case. The second thing that I sort of tend to think of carefully is to ask myself, whether is this kind of a critique always posed at the marginalized or this kind of critique is also posed at people who are supposedly powerful or who supposedly hold a particular level of privilege that many other people do not sort of hold. Um, and this point is very important. I'll probably try to touch it somewhere uh, in the few four points that I'll sort of raise as part of the responses. And I'll raise it particularly when I start to speak about two of people that I know who are actually white and were women who are actually confronted about the kind of works that they do. So whenever we get there, perhaps think careful about whether I'm trying to sort of uh, speak to point number two. Is it only the marginalized or is it only the powerful that are often confronted with this kind of a statement? And then the third thing that I do, I ask myself, so now that you've said the statement, what exactly is the intent? Is it to just point a to raise a point of critique? Is it to question subjectivity as to whether am I imposing more of my experiences within uh, topics and issues that has got nothing to do with me? For instance, talking about Aboriginal experiences but imposing sort of um, uh, racial experiences from the South African context and bringing them and borrowing you know, the South African experience towards the Aboriginal context in Australia. But then is this particular statement um, posed with the intent to sort of check the relativity as to whether am I also able to sort of make a distinction as to the fact that uh, perhaps apartheid in South Africa might be different towards, you know, colonization in the context of the Aboriginal people in Australia? Or is the intent of the statement really to dismiss me from a conversation? Or is it to welcome certain level of ref reflexivity or to challenge me to sort of active uh, or actively practice reflexivity which by reflexivity i basically mean the act where i sort of have to disclose um, a number of my so-called uh, privileges in a conversation so that the listeners or the one who consumes whatever um, type of knowledge that i sort of put out there will be able to sort of also check the validity in terms of my data and the validity in terms of the arguments that I'm making as to whether am I leaning or am I fabricating the arguments uh, with the intent to lean them towards my own personal lived experiences or I'm really becoming more objective about whatever I'm podcasting about. So those are sort of kind of the things that I'm sort of more interested in before I engage in this conversation. But as, you know, just a few kinds of responses, I think I've got like four points and let's see if I can just 
go through the four points very quickly. And obviously, I feel like this entry, depending on who I'm engaging with, if it's more of a philosophical level, it might really need a much more longer and tedious sort of uh, engagement with more probing in between and so on and so forth. But perhaps this can help someone who sort of come across people who sort of wants to use ad hominems in the context of, you know, intellectual engagement. Um, this is sort of to say, if you want to engage or you want to deal with people who want to play the man as opposed to confronting the argument, uh, perhaps some of these things can actually sort of help you. First thing first, Dr. T is definitely curious. Uh, yes, I'd sort of welcome that. I don't think in most kind of uh, topics, whether I'm podcasting about or whether I am writing about in you know general publications or whatsoever. Um, I don't think I sort of confront and I do not want to confront spaces um, or confront such an activity without any level of curiosity. Uh, and I think sometimes it helps to sort of confront that space with a certain level of curiosity. But it shouldn't just be curiosity that will just leave things hanging. It should be, I think, curiosity in a sense that it can also keep you as a researcher or a knowledge producer more grounded uh, in uh, objectivity. Uh, because if you enter a space already with preconceived, certain preconceived ideas and you sort of overlook what curiosity could do, it's very easy for one to sort of um, dive deep into subjectivity, sort of writing from their own personal experiences or even to the extent of maybe fabricating data, which are not claiming that people who are not sort of looking at curiosity fabricate data. That's not necessarily what I'm sort of trying to argue here. But yes, everybody should sort of um, be open to enter a space with curiosity as opposed to taking more center space as though uh, one possesses all the full knowledge of something. And the reason for curiosity also is the fact that it comes with also understanding that um, people are way different. Uh, I might be a black person who wants to sort of write about blackness, but if I want to enter the space with this sort of cocky attitude of saying, I possess more of an insider uh, perspective about this, I might sort of um, um, make certain errors but if I enter this space with curiosity, I might sort of make room to sort of point out a distinction between even different kinds of people who are part of the black community because blackness is not sort of monolith, so to say. The second, you know, response I'd say is to sort of think carefully about people who pose this kind of, you know, statement. If it is meant to be a pejorative statement, you know, you want to dismiss people in a conversation, um, Therefore, you say whatever which was said in the statement raised by my friend. I'd say people need to think carefully whether do you consider the outsider um, as that kind of a dangerous person? Um, by the outsider in this case, for instance, I'd mean consider men who are writing about women's experiences. So a woman in terms of women's experiences might be considered as an insider, but a man who doesn't have you know, the, you know, sort of experiences of women such as maybe giving birth or uh, labor pains or menstruation. Obviously, I know that with this kind of an example now in the contemporary times, 
um, it might raise a whole lot of debates and criticisms because of the latest trends of, you know, the trans narrative arguments in terms of gender studies. But let's say um, in the context that I've sort of explained, a man, cisgender man tries to write uh, something about experiences of cisgendered women. Um, so the man would be considered an outsider, whilst the woman would be considered an insider. But again, this kind of a statement from a friend makes me question as to whether are we really aware or welcoming uh, of the works of Joseph Luft and um, Harry Ingham, uh, famously known as the Juhari Window, particularly one of the second, okay, particularly the second window, which is about the blind area, which Pope, you know, puts it that very often the outsider knows something more and greater that the insider doesn't know about themselves. And I'm thinking a lot about that to say, to what extent can we also think about these kind of things in the context of academia, in the context of, context of theorization, in the context of data analysis, that sometimes people's sort of uh, dismissal of the outsider might actually be uh, robbing them of a particular level of um, interpretation. And I'm of the view that perhaps not everything of the insider should be written by the outsider. Or if ever anything that is written by the outsider about an ins insider, it sort of still requires a more scholarly engagement. And um, wherever we feel like there's a certain discus that is sort of used to uh malign people therefore it can sort of be you know um approached with reproval so to say but i think also that very often the views of the outsider about the insider might sort of also deserve a certain level of um recognition because sometimes yes it's really very much true that sometimes the you know insider might not really be aware about certain things that they're projecting to somebody of the outside to somebody who's sort of um, in the outside or they might not even know themselves uh to a greater deal uh, or else someone from the outside might sort of tell um something worth noting the third point i'm thinking more about phrases such as i'm um, coming from a marginalized space or uncivilized space something what exactly does that mean in the contemporary times where we live in a global village technology is more advanced um so i think that kind of a statement really is not worth more of my energy uh very often i sort of tend to respond to such kind of backward type of thinking i call that backward type of a thinking kind of a you know assertion if one has to say that to me and very often i tend to respond to these with more of a fit of mild irritation for instance in 2018 i had an, an air hostess who sort of questioned whether in africa is it true that we still have uh, neighbors who are you know wild animals and we just walking around next to lions and everything i don't know really what was the intent but i felt like living in the so-called first world and asking such a question is really a disappointment towards your education system, a disappointment towards your brain and yourself, and you should be ashamed of yourself. But in response, I said, yeah, definitely true. In fact, my roommate is an elephant, you know, and also some of the other responses I gave to people who are friends, but before doing all the unpaid labor of, you know, race and racism education, 
they would often ask questions as to whether black people can put on a sunscreen or whether black people put on a tattoo or whether there's cars in Africa and all which in my response, particularly on the cars one, I said, definitely no cars. And I had to hop on a, an eagle with my luggage to make it to Australia and thanks to the world of the civilized. But I mean, point is, I, I wonder what you sort of think about that in the contemporary times where you've got technology, some of the things I don't really think you should be asking there, unless really you just want to be, you know, um, in the infamous word, a jerk, so to say, um, you would sort of pose kind of those kind of questions. But statements such as those in an interlocutive kind of an engagement are really do not really feel like they deserve a bit of an air. The fourth point, perhaps this could be more of a bigger elephant in the room. Um, I've touched a little bit on this when I was talking about the perfect allyship is to say, when we say such statements as people coming from the marginalized, all these to them, it's just curiosity, it's quaint and faint and all that. Um, are we sort of presupposing that insiders can actually all insiders rather do justice in presenting all the views of other insiders. Are we not necessarily making particular mistakes? So I'd be interested in sort of um, finding out that uh, because I believe there are certain insiders who are sort of complicit to certain injustices in terms of their writing. And it might be also certain levels of privilege that sort of escalates to higher clouds uh you'd consider part of the arguments that i've made in the past particularly the distinction between um feminism and womanism where i'd said uh particularly a scholar of womanism nikki black mentioned the fact that feminism is sort of uh, concerned with you know power and uh part of the weaknesses could be that people are so fascinated in holding up the microphone holding up the center space where else in womanism it's more about sharing the microphone and having somebody who's not even that eloquent in english to sort of have space to speak for themselves so i think um it is possible that you can find people who claim to be speaking for the marginalized group but they're actually doing a whole lot of things just to sort of uh, advance themselves either economically or push on their CVs or whatever the case. And some of these critiques really came out a lot in the context of Black Lives Matter and what happened to the funding, which were, the funds which are collected in America and so on and so forth. And I mean, that's another area which I'd encourage people to look at than just taking things on um, face value. So here, again, um, there's a thing that often goes around. So answering the second point I raised in the opening uh, of this entry, uh, there's a behavior of sort of um, confronting certain people who come from privileged spaces and claiming that uh, they shouldn't be researching about certain ideas. For instance, Looking at uh, likes of Robin D'Angelo, who's been questioned why is she so fascinated writing about blackness in her text, you know, white fragility and also nice racism and so on and so forth. And of which I liked her response, uh, but at the same time, her response needs to sort of be looked at carefully as to somebody who spends a lot of time, many years, sort of researching about blackness and writing about blackness. Whether is that person really exacerbating certain racial injustices but unaware? of that and of which that's a conversation for another day but i also have a friend of mine in south africa who was sort of questioned in the same way why are you writing about you know trans lives and uh um lesbian lives and so on and so forth as a white person 
And I'm thinking to myself, if we really claim that they've got privilege, indeed, they could use their privilege to go write anything about cats and dogs, and they could still be very much relevant in society. So what exactly are we questioning? So I'm yet to sort of be um, persuaded further about certain other things, but uh, perhaps this is a place to land. Hopefully I've made a bit of justice to my friend, but I'm keen to hear more and to chat more about this. Thanks for choosing the Visions and Tones. Go ye and be best human beings, best versions of yourselves. Cheers.